This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, I Am Me, collection of short stories, and the author is Ram Sundaram. And Ram joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ram. Hello, Steve. I'm going to read just a short introduction for everyone so they can kind of, in general, understand uh, a very unique book, a very thought-provoking book. Uh, You'll understand more in just a moment when we talk about the details of this. Uh, This is what you say. I Am Me is a two-way book with... Ten pairs of short stories, of course that means 20 short stories. Each pair has two stories that have the same title and concept, but are written in an entirely different way. One half of the book represents reality, while the other reflects a a fantasy dreamscape. Ultimately, each reader can decide which version of each story they prefer. So, a very thought-provoking book, obviously. Uh, what caused all of this, Ram? Well, what was the motivation here? Well, to be completely honest, I was actually working on a two-way book that was going to be a novel. And then I was writing these short stories, and I had about eight or nine written. And one of the short stories I was kind of unhappy with, I thought it could go in a different direction. So I wrote another version of it, and I thought, which one do I like better? And then I thought, hang on a minute, why can't I just use both? Because I noticed that one was very fantastical in a sense, and the other one was very real, very tangible. And I thought, that I like that whole distinction. I mean, we think the world is so black and white, but I think it's primarily gray. Mm. And I just wanted to explore that a bit more and just kind of present both two extreme contrasting versions of a story and then still right. tie it together so that, the, so that we can understand that these two contrasting realities are still the same. Yeah, just to add to what you just said, you write the understanding that there is as much fiction in fact as there is fact in every fiction. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we get so distressed when we hear a lie, but I mean, there's so much truth in every lie, and there's so much lie in every truth, so it's... Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, Well, you have that human nature thing in there, don't you? Uh, You're thinking one thing, but it doesn't quite come out the way you're thinking. Yeah. And often language is is restrictive of really expressing exactly what you're feeling or what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, language has no meaning until it's understood. So, I mean, I can Uh, write a book, but until it's understood, it has no meaning. And who knows how it can be interpreted. So there's no, like... Right. There's no actual message in anything until it's interpreted. That's a great point. Now, let's talk about the title of the book, I Am Me. What, mm-hmm. Why did you name the book, I Am Me? Well, initially, I wanted to write uh, 10 short stories that reflected the journey we take as individuals, from birth until death and the afterlife. And I was consumed by the idea that the ego affects all of our choices in life. And... Um, once I wrote, once I decided to do the two-way book, though, I realized that the other half of the book could represent the collective. So the title is called "I Am Me," but the reflection of the title on the on the cover says "I Am We," and uh, that's really the idea that I wanted to explore that duality between the individual and the collective. So your conclusion is that our egos affect every single choice and decision. Ego is the uh, prime. Uh, energizer, the motivator, the, uh, I, I can't come up with any other words. Absolutely. What, uh, so talk, talk more about that. Well, it's just, uh, it's an idea that I just stumbled upon last year. When you go out into the world and you just observe people, you, you realize that every decision they make is ego-driven. And it's, it's not a negative thing by any means. We all do it because the ego is just self-awareness. It's the awareness that you are an individual being, and that you're different from everyone else. 
and it's an awareness that you really can't separate from yourself. So, I mean, if uh, I mean, say you're driving in, in a route that you take all the time, for example, and let's say the speed limit's about 45, and um, you suddenly come across a car that's going at about 44, 43, and you're used to driving at 45, let's say that's your comfort zone. You get so angry, you get so distressed by the fact that someone's forcing you to drive out of your comfort zone that you know you, you switch lanes and you give that guy like a, a glare as you pass him by. What's the subtext of what's happening is that you're thinking, I'm a special being, I like to drive at this, and you're forcing me to drive out of my comfort zone. That's really the subtext. And you know, that's a very trivial example, but it, you can kind of incorporate that into every single aspect of our life. So when we watch the news, when we watch leaders speak, or there's some debate about wars or politics, uh, even entertainment, and you even say sports, of course, a lot of ego in sports, but if we look at and listen, if we're listening to these words from these people, we start to analyze the ego behind all those words, I, there's a whole different meaning. Well, all the examples you came up with were perfect, really, from uh, entertainment and politics and, uh, you know, the celebrity world. Uh, in particular, I mean, if you, I always come up with this example. When two people from different religions kind of argue about whose religion, whose faith is better, it's not the religion that they're defending. It's their belief in the religion. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's the most primary example of what the ego is, is that, I mean, when you believe in something, you believe it's special because you are an intelligent being and you've decided to believe in it. So it's not actually what you believe in that you defend. In that sense, everything that we argue about, all kinds of conflict, becomes actually trivial because it's on such a personal, individualistic uh, realm when it shouldn't be, if you think about it. Well, as you have written uh, about a message in the book, the individual is at the heart of all existence. I is the cause of everything. That vertical pronoun, I've heard it described, I, as opposed mm -hmm. to we. So I am me, but the, the other I am we, the two don't go together, or do they go together? I think I, a bit of both, I would say. Because, I mean, what I like to say is that existence is individual, but we are not individuals. And what I mean is we, uh, we each exist independently and alone from everyone else. But I think at the end of the day, we have a collective consciousness. Because, for example, there is no such thing as an original thought or an original idea. I mean, what you have is an idea that's repackaged somewhat. But it, you're borrowing from the ideas that have come from everyone else around you. And in that regard, I think we have very much a collective consciousness. But our existence at the same time is individual. And that's why we get a little deluded. We think we are individuals and we are separate from everyone else. But it's just our existence that's separate. We are still the same. So what we call real then, in many ways, could be fantasy because it's from our point of view and what we see we may not be seeing correctly. That's perfect, actually. I think you've, I think you've understood something that I had a very hard time explaining. Um, that's exactly what it is. I mean, what I mean by fantasy and reality in terms of the book isn't necessarily that kind of like a, a, a split between what's a dreamscape and what's real. It's actually what you said is that we, we perceive things to be something when it's actually something else. And that's what I wanted to present with the book is to give two realities that are seemingly so contrasting and so different, but if you learn to almost like strip away all the differences and examine what they actually are underneath, you realize they're basically the same. And of course, perception is reality. That's the bottom line in life. Uh, let's That's talk true. about a, a. Let's just talk about one of these. Uh, you, you've described a scene where a man stands in the middle of a beach on a hot summer day with a large wall before him. Now, can you go on and, and give us this duality about that scene? Um, yeah, the, the, the story is called Reality's Dream. And it just starts with this man, like you said, standing on a beach on a hot summer day. There's a wall in front of him. On the other side of the wall is a bottle of cold beer. And in order to reach the beer, he has to, um, he gets these instructions that he has to imagine uh, an original structure that will enable him to climb over the wall. And the whole story is about how, how the difficulty he faces in imagining something unique, something original. 
and all he wants is he just he he needs this very physical form of uh, relief and satisfaction in the cold beer, and he can't because he mentally can't imagine something. And that story is kind of um, it reflects the central theme of the book because I think you must make a leap of faith in order to attain satisfaction, which in this man's case is a bottle of beer. But I think we all need to do that in some level is to almost make that leap of faith in order to get to a, a higher level of understanding. Well, let's also talk about this example and, and expound on this a bit. Uh, there is a young boy who has been raised to believe that he is stupid and slow. The story you taught, mentioned is called um, 50 Cents, and it deals with a boy. He's had a very harsh and difficult life. And um, he hasn't had any friends at all. And he's told at a young age that every friendship has a, a cost, a price. And he actually believes, he takes this in a literal sense and believes that the price is 50 cents. And so he thinks he can actually buy friends for 50 cents. Uh, this has been the most popular story in the book in terms of um, people's reactions, I think, because it takes um, something that we talk about symbolically to say that every every relationship has a cost. And he is a character who takes this literally. And um, I think it's uh, uh, the reason that I personally find it enduring is because it's based on a true incident in my life. And um, the values from the story are something that I still apply to all my relationships. I think there is a cost to every relationship. You, what you put in is what you get out. And uh, yeah, that's what the story is about. Who does the book appeal to and why? Well, you know, as an author, you want to believe that it could appeal to everyone. Um, and certainly uh, this book, I am in particular, just as the title suggests, it's about individuals. It's about all individuals. Um, I, would, I would assume that it would appeal to people who are willing to or would like to think outside the box because there are so many boundaries and restrictions based on creativity and um, especially in the writing world you know there's certain formulas you need to apply to how a story is written and in I am me all those most of those restrictions are broken most of those guidelines are ignored so I think it would appeal to someone who enjoys thinking outside of the box the themes presented in these stories reflect the inherent nature of the individual and the passages that each individual goes through from birth to friendship, love, desire, ambition, spirituality, death, and eventually the afterlife. It seems like uh, this is a unique way. This is unique to you, the way you look at life. And you're trying to open the door for others to see it. I, it's the same way you see it. Well, yeah, this, realiza this realization really did affect my life. I think it's made me um, a happier person because not, not only because I have fewer expectations of others, I have fewer expectations of myself. And I know that sounds negative. What I actually mean by that is that I've learned to understand we're all, we're all human and more importantly, we're all the same. And it really helps to be more forgiving because when someone makes a mistake, you just you realize that it's not them as an individual making the mistake. It's the circumstances in their life. These are the kind of the, the elements, the, uh, the ideas that I want to incorporate into the book, particularly through, through the two-way idea. And I, I personally believe it can be of benefit to people who read it, that it will make us more tolerant of each other and, more importantly, of ourselves. The power of the short story, right? To cause us to think, uh, give us some just situation, and then cause us to think deeper. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a novel has so much to offer. They both, they both have their values, but short stories, like you said, I think they're a little deeper just because of how concise and succinct they are. The title of the book, I Am Me, collection of short stories, and we've been listening to Ram Sundaram. Ram, tell us how to get your book. Well, well, it's available on the iUniverse website, on um, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, most online retailers, and uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. Well, thank you, Ram. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you so much, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle. 
and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Inficasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now... These deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio, with host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Common Man's View. A fresh perspective from middle class America, and the author is Chad Depu and the author is Chad Dupil. And Chad joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Chad. Hello, Steve. Good morning. Well, great to have you with us. Uh, you are a a beacon of light. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it that way, and, we'll, and everyone will understand uh, what this book is about. And and just. Uh, Refreshing a common man's view of what America is all about from a, a middle class American. Now, let me read what you have written about this fresh perspective from middle class America. The common men and women of America do not have a nanny to watch their children and have to balance our household budgets all while watching the economy go up and down. Discover what makes the United States great and play your part in reversing its decline by holding old-fashioned common values up. We need to hold up these old-fashioned common values, which is really the, the, uh, the whole, I guess, the brilliance of America, the intelligence of America, these old-fashioned common values. Well, Chad, you have quite a career. You were in the Marine Corps helicopter pilot. Uh, tell us about that, and then what happened with your change of thinking about the Marine Corps? Well, Steve, first of all, I want to say uh, thank you, first and foremost, for having me on. Um, I want to thank God uh, that he's given me the opportunities to uh, go after my dream, and my dreams, really, um, and... Uh, Really, the, as far as the Marine Corps is concerned, uh, I love it to this day. You, you won't find a better group of people more dedicated than uh, the United States Marines. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased, but uh, I would say back in, um, I really loved my job. I loved flying. I did uh, two tours in Iraq, um, loved the guys, was uh, doing very well. I got to a point in my career, though, where I looked at life in general and um, said, you know what, I'm at the 10-year mark towards retirement. If I stay in, I'm staying in for 20. Um, but at the same time, is there something else? Life's short, I like to say, and you got to play hard. And in my mind, I wanted to go after my dream. I wanted to not, you know, at 20, 25 years in the Marine Corps, I might look back and say, you know, that's all I did. I was at the top of my career. Flew in combat, was uh, briefing missions, uh, raids in and out of Fallujah, Ramadi, 
And in my mind, it didn't get any better than that as an operator. So I decided to throw caution to the wind, talk with my wife. She supported me and, um, you know, wanted to go out on my own and just see what I could do more, more than anything else. Um, life's short. Like I said earlier, and you got to play hard. And I just, I love the fact that, you know, we're afforded the opportunity in America to go after that dream. And that's, that's why I really got out of the Marine Corps. Although I miss it. I miss the, the adrenaline. I miss the guys. And, and, um, but I love what I'm doing now as well. You hear so much negative about America today, and it's, uh, it's so disheartening often, uh, frustrating, uh, sometimes even uh, depressing when so many downgrade these old-fashioned values, our founding fathers, the Constitution, even our president says the Constitution is standing in his way. You know, Congress is standing in the way, uh, of course, all meant to be by the Constitution. Uh, how do you, what was the, what was the drive to uh, create your book with this really strong message? It's funny you ask that. I was, uh, I believe it was the second tour in Iraq. Um, I was in the middle of the desert, laying on a cot, and I was reading a book by, by the name of Bias. Um, and I thought to myself, you know what, I can do this. I have something to say, um... And, you know, I want to start jotting things out. I'll write a book. At that point, I got out the Marine Corps in 2006. I started jotting things down, you know, different things would come to my mind and, you know, what was going on in the country. Um, But I think it had to have been about two years ago that I believe the country, what I saw going on today with the current president, the current administration, but it's not only him and his uh, band of merry radicals, I like to call them. It, it was the fact that I saw us as a society going in a direction that, that made me uncomfortable, and I just, you know, it's hard to put a finger on. It just, it was really something that, that said, hey, you know what? If we don't do something now and we don't start, you know, being responsible for ourselves you know, what future are kids going to have? Where are we going to go with this? You know, all of my kids going to have the same opportunities that, that, that I believe I have today, which are still somewhat difficult. And I talked to that in the American Dream chapter of my book. But, um, you know, are they really going to? So it's, it really it scared me. It scared me into the fact that, you know what, I'm going to finish this thing. I'm going to, to really give my opinion from somebody I like to say that lives in the real world. Uh, you know, we, we go through, and, and during the introduction you talked about it, um, the, you know, we, we, we in middle-class Americans, I like to say, are the guys that don't have, you know, you, you hear from the mainstream and you hear from, from both the left and the right every day on, you know, what we, the challenges we face. Now, in my mind, why not hear from somebody who faces those challenges on a day-to-day basis, who, who, you know, has some experience on the war on terror, which I talk about in the book, who has some experience in running a business, who got caught up in the subprime mortgage crisis, um, and get a perspective from really the real world, where we live today. And that was, I guess, the driving factor. That and the fact is it scares the, the tar out of me where our country's going today. I, I see this Occupy Wall Street. I see... You know, the irresponsibility, not only in, in our so-called leaders in Washington, but across the board. And it's just to a point where I got frustrated. I said, you know, I'm going to finish this thing. I, I stayed up at night. I didn't sleep. I run a couple of businesses. But at the same time, it was something that I felt, if nothing else, that my children could read and say, hey, this is, this is where their dad's coming from, if you will. There's some key messages in your book. would like to talk about a few of them. Uh, they all seem so bottom line, common sense, if you will. But then again, uh, you know, there's not a lot of, of common sense these days running around the country. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, it's really sad. But uh, let's just talk about honesty. I mean, my goodness, why wouldn't that be the rock upon which a society needs to build? Well, uh, and, and you hit the nail on the head there is, you know, part of the the book itself is is when you when you look at honesty, and I do talk to honesty in my chapter, uh, a word uh, on words, which was essentially a spin off of Saul Alinsky's chapter. 
on on how these certain words and politics have been warped. But in my mind, what I wanted to do is bring out specific, you know, words or more so ideas or ideals, if you will, um, on on what's missing today, whether it's in the mainstream uh, politics of today, you know, in Washington, but you know, within our own lives, within itself, and and you know, I look, I, I take honesty in general, and you know, you can go back to whether you know Obama. I, I don't know what's coming out of these guys' mouth. Pelosi, uh, Barney Frank. I mean, you name it. What can we really believe anymore? And that's the scary part too. Is we don't know what to believe. You know, we're being told essentially pushed down from the top saying, hey, this is what this is what to believe, this is the truth, but is it really? I don't know that. Now, what I talk about in the book is we need to fundamentally get back within our own lives and start, start telling the truth. You know, um, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. Uh, far from it. I'm far from perfect. Um, but at the same time, I think if we challenge each other to, to really tell the truth, then, you know, we have to challenge our, our, our leaders, too. We have to challenge ourselves, our kids, uh, society in general, and to tell the truth on, on every day. That way we can start holding ourselves accountable, and then we'll start holding those um, that, are, that need to represent us accountable as well. And that's, in my mind, fundamentally is where we're going to get our country back on the right track. Of course, honesty is just one of the old-fashioned common values that uh, you talk about. And, of course, today, with people with their hands out, instead of trying to be self-reliant, the old pioneering kind of ethic, you know, the, uh, the work ethic, the, uh, there's risk in life, you've got to take chances, uh, there's no guarantees anywhere. I mean, we could go on and on. It's the old farming kind of uh, mentality and the uh, spirit of America upon which this great nation was built. But you go into some uh, values is very, very important, and we've lost them. I agree. Um, I don't know that we've lost them. I, I, you know, I think we're going in that direction. If we don't put a stop to it now, then we very well may. But I believe, uh, Steve, uh, like yourself, uh, we're out there. Uh, I'm out there. I know the guys that I run run around with um, today, whether it be in the business world or my family, or you know. So it, it it is still there, I believe, but it's not. You know, it's being twisted by the, like I said, the mainstream. I mean, you look at the mainstream media, and they're pushing and they're twisting these values, and even the president himself saying that you know we're not a Christian nation, which is couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but those values, I believe, too, and again, I, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but what, what I am going to say is, personally, you know, in my, within that last two years, I think I talked about uh, what compelled me to write this book. It took a little bit of different spin when I initially thought it was going to, but the, you know, faith in my life and, and, and God in my life and what it's done for me and the struggles I've gone through, whether it be in in business and my family and, and marriage and, you know, just life in general. And I believe that that's what has brought me today to where I'm at, to what pretty much brought the book. I talk about faith, attitude, and a little bit of perspective. And, and faith being the cornerstone, faith in God and Jesus Christ being the cornerstone that makes that attitude and, and, and taking a different perspective on things um, that makes it possible to, to again, be, be successful at the end of the day. I, I talked a little bit about the Occupy Wall Street crowd, and, you know, these yahoos walk without doing, you know, and, and they, they think they're due without having to sacrifice and put in the time. Um, and I believe in taking that perspective, putting your faith in God, and knowing that it is the pursuit of happiness, not a guarantee of success. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the pursuit that makes it worthwhile, really, at the end of the day. Is the American dream still achievable today? I guess you have to read the book, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe it is. I, I really do. Um, how long that's going to be the case with the, you know, we keep having these, these guys pushing down the regulators, and there's so much regulation today. And, and, you know, we were talking earlier regarding potentially going into my business and, and what I think of that. And, you know, I could ask Melissa here. She's my, uh, she runs our administrative department. But the two things I hate is taxes and insurance. But, you know, it's a necessary evil. I don't mind paying taxes. But, you know, it's very difficult as a small business to grow. But is it achievable? Um, 
back in my grandfather's day, and that's the American Dream chapter, my last chapter, is, you know, I staged that question, is the American Dream achievable today? And, you know, my grandfather, he grew up during the Great Depression, eighth grade education, lived in an old railroad boxcar in, uh, railroad box car in the middle of upstate Maine, you know, talk about the challenges to go through, but just the, the perseverance that him and his generation went through to get through that. He ended up uh, very successful, uh, owning businesses. He was a captain for Pan American Airlines, and at the end of the day, what made him successful was, was his faith in God, his faith in himself, and the fact that others believed in him as well. He, he didn't do it on his own. And that's what I found from, from his tapes and from talking to my grandfather. He's since passed, but just a phenomenal story. Now, is it still achievable today? I believe it is. With, with hard work, perseverance, faith in God, and knowing that there is no guarantee. But you've got to go out there and take those risks. Um, you know, you, you have to read the book itself, but... It, it, it is achievable if you want to go after it, but you're not guaranteed. You know what? What is the American dream, too? That's a great question. Right. What is the American dream? Right. It's not money. It's not a big house. It's, not, it's the fact that we're afforded the opportunity to go after it, you know, and not being having the government and the all-knowing and government or anywhere else telling you that you can. You know what? You can. Right. You really can. Well, Chad, we have about a minute left. Uh, we certainly need to be proactive and not take in everything being dictated, as you put it, by Hollywood or our out-of-touch politicians. Give us a, a closing thought about your book. You know, I believe it's a common man's view, and I believe that, that we're out there, um, but we need to stand up. My little piece to this was, was writing this book when I didn't have time to write it. But we all together... The common men and women of America need to get together, just like we're doing all across America with the Tea Party groups and the 912 groups. And, and if nothing else, have your voice heard. We may not agree on everything, but you know what? Let's get back to those fundamental principles like faith in God, like honesty, integrity. Um, and you know what? That will bring us back to where we need to be. And that's the ideology that's being, that, that will continue to make America what it is and it's the greatest country in the world it's the greatest since the inception of our time really i mean uh it really is and we need to continue that and and just understand that we need to be responsible for ourselves and speak the truth you've been listening to author chad dupill he is the uh he's written his book titled a common man's view a fresh perspective from middle class america chad is a retired Marine Corps helicopter pilot. We appreciate your service, Chad, so much. Tell us about your book. How, how do we get it? You can get it on um, the iUniverse website, uh, publisher, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere. You can request it any, uh, anywhere books are sold. Thank you, Chad, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Hey, God bless you, Steve, and thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. 
And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Building a Strategic Plan for Your Life and Business. Discover the secret of the greats. And the author, John M. Hawkins. And John joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, John. Hi, Steve. How are you? Successful people have a very, well, they have a plan. And that's what we're going to talk about, a strategic plan. And you've had a lot of success. And you're a consultant who helps companies and individuals achieve their goals. So I want to read what you've written about your book. Imagine what your life would be like if you could apply the same strategies that successful people use to get ahead. Join business consultant John M. Hawkins, who learned long ago that the secret to success is building a strategic plan to get what you want. And of course, you have a a whole list of things to do. And you, you know, as you say, follow the footsteps of strategic thinkers and get exactly where you want to go. Well, it sounds so easy. Is it that easy? Well, uh, that all depends. Uh, for those who have a strategic mindset, it's fairly straightforward, right? They know what activities they should be focusing on, and they have developed a strategy uh, for becoming successful. For the rest of us, um, we run into a lot of challenges. Uh, the challenges can be that uh, we focus on activities, uh, that might not uh, get us to that future state, or we don't really have a plan in place. And as a result, we're constantly uh, trying to find and trying to seek answers that aren't going to help us get to that end goal. So, so is it that easy? It can be if you have a good strategy and a good way of thinking about success. Uh, but if you don't, it can be very frustrating and very difficult. Well, you mentioned a key word there, focus. I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. And that four-letter word, plan, oh, my goodness, who wants to do that? But yet, that's the key. That's the key to success. It, that's why it's so frustrating, I guess, because there it is. Why don't we do it? But that's why you're there, to help us. And your book is all about that. But let's go back Let's go back to your childhood. You, you kind of caught a vision of this at a, at a young boy, and that's amazing. But as a young man, because of your father, tell us about that experience. Oh, sure. So um, as a young boy, I grew up in uh, Southern California, and um, my parents had seven children. And uh, you can imagine that living in Southern California is rather expensive. And as a result of, of it being so expensive, my father uh, used to uh, try to make ends meet, would take on extra side jobs uh, on the weekend. And my father was a finished carpenter. So um, as a young boy, I can't recall the exact age, I think I was around age seven, uh, he would take me to work with him. And so, uh, you know, we'd get up 5.30 in the morning and pack our lunches. Uh, we'd head off uh, to work. Uh, but where my father worked wasn't, um, the common thing that a carpenter would do. He actually worked for uh, some of the, the richest clients uh, in Southern California. Um, he worked for Bob Hope, for Annette Fibre. He worked for um, you know, major CEOs of corporations. So every Saturday morning, uh, I would pack my lunch, I would get in the car with my dad, and we would head off to these absolutely marvelous mansions. Uh, that were in uh, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, all throughout uh, Southern California. So, um, you know, when I first started going to those houses, I realized, hmm, this is a little bit different uh, than the house that I live in. So I'd start to ask my dad about it. You know, Dad, you know, why are their houses so much bigger? You know, why do they have the nice cars? Well, how come we don't have a nice car? So at that young age, I started thinking about success. 
I started thinking about what decisions were these uh, folks making uh, that my father had not made uh, to help enable and get them to the point where they were at. So uh, for, for a long time, I, you know, I worked with him for, for 10 years, um, uh, on and off, on Saturdays, going to work. And that really is the driver uh, for me. So uh, for the next 30 years, I'd been focusing on, well, how do I go about achieving that success? And uh, this book really is the culmination of that journey and a lot of the lessons learned uh, from, that, uh, from that path I've been on. Well, you've mentioned this word plan and focus, and now you've talked about vision, all these things that it seems like are the bottom line. Uh, for the most part, do you think that people live up to their potential? You know, absolutely not. Um, I think that uh, everybody has a vision. Uh, regardless of who you are, there are certain things in this life that you want to accomplish. There's a certain lifestyle that you want. And it's not always about uh, success and money. It could also be about, you know, the sense of self, the sense of purpose. Am I volunteering? Am I somebody who uh, is, is, is highly respected? Uh, do people come to me when they have questions? So I think that the challenge, though, is that when you go out and have that vision and try to accomplish it without a plan, any type of, of um, rejection uh, when you go out there and try and do this is really going to set you back. So as a result, we become very guarded. We become very, you know, uh, closed-minded and, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I should be doing this. And then you end up in a position where you aren't going to get to that future state vision that you'd originally defined. So really, it is, it is difficult uh, for people to try and get, to, get past it and to start to realize their vision. So, so you help us build a smart, strategic plan, and then also you help us learn how to take risks. Now, boy, that, that is a tough one. There are no guarantees, even though it seems like there's a, today there's, a, there's that government thing that trying to help people think that there's a guarantee. But in real life, in, in business or in success, you have to take risks. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you have to take calculated risks. So, so one of the lessons learned um, that, that I've, I've learned over the years is I do this type of consulting for large organizations. And the large organizations have a benefit that the small business, that the individual person doesn't have. They actually have entire teams that can focus on strategy. And they go out there and start thinking about, well, what are the decisions that we should be making? What are the implications of making those you know, if we go through with choice A, what are we going to be giving up? So the problem is that they, or the challenge is that they've got these resources, and then they can calculate and say, okay, there's 10 different, there's 10 different opportunities out here. Which are the ones that we want to invest in? And then what would be, you know, our return on investment? Well, it's the same thing for you and I, right? We only have so much time in a day. There's so many activities that are that demand our time so really we need to start focusing on you know which are those activities that are going to help us get to that future state and get us you know because right now we're all in a current state and then there's some sort of transition or transformation that has to happen and then there's that future state which is the idyllic it's where we want to be it's where we have a sense of satisfaction it's where we've got the money we need it's where we are, you know, the best grandfather, the best parent, the best husband, the best wife, whatever it is. So, so now strategic planning fundamentally is about taking all those activities that we do on a daily basis, and it's about breaking them up and saying, look, here are the core fundamental activities that I need to be focusing on on a daily basis. And if I'm able to focus on those, I'm going to get one step closer to my goal. And all journeys start with a single step. But before you take that step, there must be a lot of planning? Absolutely. But not as much as you would think. So, you know, I talked about the corporations and how much planning they put in place. That's a lot of work. Um, when you build a strategic plan for a large organization, I can tell you it takes a lot of work. But I propose that you don't go with that all-inclusive plan to get you to where you need to be. I would limit my plan if I'm a person, a small business, to a page, right? It's 
a very short list of what is my vision, right? What do I want to be? What's the idyllic? What would make me feel, you know, complete and satisfied with my life? And then add more detail to it to a point where it's the vision, it's the goals, where, you know, qualitatively, what am I doing to achieve this vision? How do I feel? Am I, you know, really fill it out, add some color to it, and then put, you know, some high-level strategies. So what I'm proposing is that you build out on a single page of paper, a single sheet of paper, a high-level strategy, strategically, what are we trying to accomplish? And then tactically, what are the activities that we need to be doing to help do that? But this is an iterative process. So it's something that I want you to learn how to do over time. It's not going to happen in just one planning session. So will it take time? Yes. Your entire life you're going to be spent doing strategic planning. But getting the fundamentals in place and being able to get good at doing strategic planning doesn't take that much time. It just takes the commitment to understanding here's the framework, here's the methodology, and then you just start to implement it. And implement it on little things. Implement it on things that you know the outcome to, that you, you, you would be able to predict or determine, you know, what this potential outcome would be. And, and they're simple things. It's, you know, if you've got a vision of having a great, of a great meal, right? So let's say I envision of having a wonderful meal. Well, if I want to have a great meal for this evening, there's a certain amount of preparation that comes into place. Right. Um, I've, so I want to then put some color around that vision. So my wonderful meal is that my family's with me, my friends are with me. Um, I'm going to have, you know, I, I, I love to have Italian food, right? So it's an Italian theme. So you've built a little bit of, of color around it. And then you want to add some more detail to it. So it's what are the objectives? Well, you know, my mom has to be there. My sister has to be there. Um, I want to have three different types of pastas. So you build that out. And then, you, then once you've built out that, that high-level vision of where you want to be, uh, then you add in the activities that are gonna, you're going to need to do to help you realize that vision. So if your vision is the perfect meal for tonight, you're not going to be able to you know, work between now and 6 o'clock and, and shut off the phone and go out and have that perfect meal. There's certain things that need to happen. And because that's a priority to you, you'll then uh, want to spend the time to do it. So, you know, rather than just saying, I want that perfect meal, that's a vision, and, you know, you make reservations at 4 o'clock and that's it, well, you've got a bigger vision about that. And that vision is, 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 has, includes your family, it includes what type of food. So put a little planning up front. And it could take 15 minutes to plan it out and to think about it, but you're going to be so much more satisfied with that end result tonight when you're sitting down around the table with the family than you would if you just called up made reservations. So really, it's taking that fundamental approach and it's applying it to little things in your life so that we retrain our brain to start to think about strategy in a different way because we want it to be part of our everyday thought. We don't want to have to be building strategic plans. Nobody has time for that. But what we do want to do is to get that ingrained so that now when a decision comes up, you can put that filter on this strategic hat and say, hey, is this activity something that's going to help me get to my future state and help me meet my goals? Or is this something that is going to take me away from those goals? So, so really, it's, it's, it's starting small, it's investing a little bit of time, and it's starting to think differently about, about how you view your daily activities. And another word associated with success, maybe directly tied to it, is what you, you know, we all know the word, but you emphasize this, follow your passion. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a pretty passionate person, and I believe that you've got to follow something or do something that you're passionate about. Absolutely. Well, let's... And you, on top of that, Steve, you also have to, to permit yourself to be successful. Uh, you know, so many times it's, you know, oh, the neighbor's successful. You know, he's, he's a dentist and his wife's a dentist. They've got great cars and they've got all these great things. And I could never do that. You've got to tell yourself, you know what, I'm good enough. I permit myself to be successful. And here's the area that I can be successful in because I'm passionate about it. You know, give yourself the, the benefit of the doubt and then build that plan to help you get there, and then go realize it, right? You're, you can take ownership, and you can realize any goal 
that, that you put, set your mind to, that is within your scope, something that, you know, in alignment with your core competency. So is you, we must trust in ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, we just got a couple of minutes left. I want to just talk about, I guess, again, it comes back to this, this confidence. That, that, because you say success is within our reach, uh, and, but success may be different, what we envision. But it doesn't mean success won't be as fulfilling as what we have envisioned, even though it may be a little different. Right. Yeah, and that's a, that is a great point. Um, you know, when, when you're in high school and you're going out for a sports team or for a speech team, and if you have this great vision that this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, and if that doesn't come true, it can be devastating for you. And it can be devastating not only when you're in high school, it can be devastating for your first business. You start your first business, nine out of ten small businesses fail. When you fail, What's going to get you back up on that horse and try riding again, right? You have got to, um, to, to realize that there are other paths that are going to give you just as much satisfaction, if not more, than the one that you ultimately envision. So be open and be ready to embrace life. Be ready to embrace new ideas and, and just be ready for the challenge. And then go out, come up with a strategy to get there and, and realize that vision. We've been listening to John M. Hawkins. Uh, John is a consultant who helps companies and individuals achieve their goals. His new book, Building a Strategic Plan for Your Life and Business, Discover the Secret of the Greats. John, tell us how to get your book. Well, my book is actually available uh, all throughout the globe. Uh, If you Google the book, you can get it um, on a number of distribution sites. It's available on iUniverse.com. but, yeah, it's, it's available. Well, we appreciate you being with us on iUniverse Radio. All right. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate it. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Radio.